chapter 1. We're picking up in the narrative where we left off. The narrative that we have is that Mary has become pregnant. She has now visited her cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant in her old age with John the Baptist. And uh, as they come together, the infant in Elizabeth's womb leaps in worship. There is a response. Mary sings a song of praise, the Magnificent. And uh, so we walk through that, that we worship our Lord and Savior during this time of year. And, and as a reminder... Zechariah, the priest, the husband of Elizabeth, is struck mute because of his disbelief. We see that in Luke chapter 1 as well. If you jump back with me to verse 8. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You jump down to verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. We jump back so we can see where we're about to pick up at the birth of John the Baptist, we, we see here that Zechariah is struck mute for his disbelief. And, and there's one thing that we see here is that mute Zechariah is about to get a mulligan. Do you know what a mulligan is? If you play golf, you definitely know what a mulligan is. If you don't play golf, let me go ahead and tell you, it's a term that means a do-over. It's a, let me try this a second time because the first time has gone horribly wrong. If you play with me, we take mulligans at will, right? We will take them on every hole if needed, just so we can have a good time. If you go to a tournament and play golf, you can actually purchase mulligans, and that is always money well spent. So, Mute Zachariah is about to get a mulligan. He's about to get a second chance. So here we are, verse 57. This is today's reading. Let's read. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, 
For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David and has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you that Luke was inspired by your Holy Spirit to write down these words, this account, the the narrative account of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your birth, that you came and you were in the flesh, that the silence was broken after all that time and you spoke to us through your son and today we worship him. Father, we thank you for your son, Emmanuel, God with us. As we celebrate, as we worship, may our eyes and our focus be pointed towards you. Father, as we come in here today in a world that is full of darkness and the shadow of death, a world that is full of grief, a world that is full of hurt, a world that is full of pain and death, Father, as we even remember the the loss of a young man in our area this week, Lord, there's much pain in this world, but you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, as the light. So may we find hope in him and him alone this morning. Amen. All right, Mary's song, The Magnificent, last week. This week we get Zachariah's song. It is a song of praise. It's a song of worship. And so last week we looked at We Worship. This week we will also look at We Worship. We worship the God of second chances. God is not only the God of second chances, he's the God of another chance and another chance and another chance. The good news is that most of us all need a second chance, am I right? Many of us need second chances. You think about all the the people throughout the Bible who got second chances. You think about Peter who denied Jesus three times. He needed a second chance. You think about David and Bathsheba, how how he committed adultery. And not only that, then he had the husband murdered. He needed a second chance. You think about Jonah. Jonah needed a second chance. And even in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. How many of us in here would say, you know what? I need a second chance. I need a second chance. J. Vernon McGee says it this way. I like to think of our God as the God of second chance. He gives us a second chance. And by the way, he gives us more than two. I'm working somewhere up in the hundreds. Now, listen. I wouldn't say hundreds. I would say thousands, millions. I don't know, but J. Vernon McGee is obviously a little more godly than I am. But he's somewhere up in the hundreds. I do not know exactly where, but I'm working way up there. God has been so gracious to me. He gives us many chances, and he always has done that. Today we worship a God as we come in here who says, you know what? I'm not done with you yet. It's a God of second chances. God's mercy, A, is the source of our second chances. We see here mercy on display. It isn't that the friends and the relatives are gathering just for a baby shower. 
It's that they're gathering to see what God is up to. It says there in verse 57, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. So they hear that the Lord is up to something. They hear of the mercy of God, and they want to come, and they want to rejoice because she is advanced in years. She is well past the age of being able to give birth. And she, by her husband's admission, is barren and unable to have children. But look at what the Lord has done. Look at the mercy that he has shown Elizabeth. In in all respects, she's missed her first chance at being a mom. She is well past the age, but here's the God who gives second chances. And he blesses her with the child, John the Baptist. Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Psalm 139, 15 and 16, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Children are a good gift from God. James 1, 17, Every good and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We see the mercy of God on display, and it's the mercy of God that gives us these second chances. It's not only a second chance for Elizabeth, it's a second chance for Zechariah. B, God's discipline is the soil of our second chances. His discipline is on display in the life of Zechariah. I read that backing up in, verse, in, in chapter 1, so you could see that it was because of his disbelief that he was struck with being mute. There's a discipline that is taking place because of his unbelief of the word of God. It says there, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. Now, I'm sure there's some juniors in here. There's some thirds in here. I, my grandfather desperately wanted me to be John David Duncan III. And my dad stepped in and said, absolutely not. I've had to share your name my whole life, and he's going to have his own name. And so I was named Jeffrey. So um, this is what is happening here. There's this naming of the child that is taking place. But Zachariah has been struck silent. He's unable to speak. He's been quiet for nine months and eight days at least. Now, some wives would be so excited about this if this happened to their husbands. He obviously had a tablet that he had been using to communicate, and this is where he finds himself, in the Lord's discipline. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as the father the son in whom he delights. Psalm 94, 12, blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. Hebrews 12, 5 through 8 and verse 11, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones, the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? 
If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, this all happened as Zechariah lacked belief. And he was struck with the discipline of the Lord. And it was silence for months And during the silence, during the discipline that took place, the discipline took place to soften the heart of Zechariah. Listen, we've all been there. When we have made choices out of disbelief of God's word, we've made decisions out of disobedience to God's word, and we've been faced with the afflictions and the consequences because we've done so. And in that time period, it is a time where we are softened. Our hearts are softened Our hearts are then made fertile so that God can do something in our life that would produce a fruit of peaceful righteousness. Listen, Zechariah could have got bitter. He could have been mad that I just simply asked a question, and here I am stuck without the ability to speak. But no, as time went on, he pondered upon these things. What is God up to? And God softened his heart. J.C. Ryle said these are sanctified afflictions. Sanctified afflictions are spiritual promotions. No case is more hopeless than that of a man who, in time of affliction, turns his back on God. We've all been there because none of us get it right the first time. There's not one of us in here that makes all the right decisions. And when we are disciplined by God, when we're reproved by him with these sanctified afflictions, he's producing in us the ability to grow in godliness. It is even through our failures that he is moving us forward to worship him. Godliness is learned from God's disciplines and being more and more faithful when we get the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, the millionth mulligan, being more faithful every time, moving in the direction of sanctification. Verse 62, And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for the writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Zechariah gets his second chance. And when he gets his second chance, he uses his mouth to worship. He uses his life to worship. Listen, when you are given a second chance because of God's discipline in your life, will you use the second chance to worship? I'm all yours. You reproved me. You softened me. I was so hard-hearted towards you in this area. I needed your reproof, and now that I've been softened and I'm fertile, I'm going to produce a fruit of faithfulness to you and worship. Kevin DeYoung says, Zachariah's punishment was not cruel and unusual. It was theologically perfect. The priest's voice was taken away until a day when the voice crying in the wilderness had arrived. Zechariah's speechlessness was another enacted sign that the time of God's silence was coming to an end. That God would once more now climatically speak to his people, first through this voice, then by his word, Jesus Christ. God's perfect plan cannot be messed up by our failures. Isn't that amazing? God's punishment of Zechariah was was worked in to his divine plan. This means that even in our failures and our shortfalls, we can be used 
by God. We can be sanctified and strengthened by his discipline for future faithfulness and future times of blessing where we bless God and we bless others with our faithfulness. We serve a God of second chances. Aren't you thankful? It is by his mercy. It's by his mercy that we get these second chances. It is by his discipline that we are then tender towards producing faithfulness and fruitfulness. And so see, God's faithfulness is the security of our second chances. There's a security we have, and it's all based on his faithfulness. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were, take, were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. If you could mess up God's plan, trust me, you would. Wouldn't you? If you could mess it up, you would. If you could, if you could mess up your salvation, I guarantee you, you would. If you could lose your salvation, I guarantee you, you would lose it. If it was based on you and your faithfulness, you would fail every time. But there's a faithful God who holds you. If you could wreck your faith, if you could shipwreck it because of bad decisions and doubts and disbelief, you would wreck it. Jude 24, 25 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. He is able to hold us. We cannot mess up God's plan. God's plan is unfolding in the birth of John the Baptist. And all of these things are being taken in by the neighbors and the relatives. What is God up to? And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Everyone knew that this child was special. And he was. But he's not the main point, is he? He was to be the one who would point to the main point. Imagine Zachariah and Elizabeth. They, they are just along for God's plan, his ride here. They've now, at their old age, become pregnant with John. John is now born, and they know that he is special, that he has some mercy of God. He has been given to them by God, but he's not the main point. He's to be the one to point to the main point. Listen, this Christmas, it's easy for us to lose sight of the main point, isn't it? In fact, it's easy for us to make our kids the main point. It's easy for us to say, you know what, I want my kids to have the greatest Christmas they've ever had. I want it to be a winter wonderland. I want them to wake up that morning. I want them to be just so enamored by all the gifts that are under the tree. I want them to just be, be all in. I want them to have this experience. And so we make them the main point. But our kids are not the main point. Are they a gift? Absolutely. Are they precious? Absolutely. Are they special? Some of them. They're special. Yes. But they're not the main point. In fact, their purpose is to point to the main point. Their purpose in life is to point people to Jesus. And it is our purpose as parents to instill in them at a young age that you're not the main point, Jesus is the main point, and you need to point people to Jesus as often as you can. But how will they do that if they're raised to think that they're the main point? It would be hard for our kids to point others to Jesus 
if all they've been shown is that everything points towards them, if everything points towards their wants, their schedules, their sports, their interests, their their hobbies, their happiness, if everything is revolved around them, then they will be raised to think it's about them and not about Jesus, the main point. Jesus is the main point, church. Let's not lose sight of him. We worship a God of salvific power. As Zechariah moves on, he moves on into a song of praise, a song of prophecy. And we see we worship the Lord who has visited and redeemed us. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He begins with this this praise that comes from being filled with the Spirit. This is interesting. Now, in chapter 1, we've seen every member of this family filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed this? Verse 15. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, John the Baptist. Elizabeth, in verse 41, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 67, Zechariah, the father Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a family that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And every time someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, you see them praise. You see them worship. Even as John MacArthur says, in every case where someone is spirit-filled in Luke's nativity account, the result is spirit-directed worship. He prophesies, and when he prophesies, he's forth-telling a divine revelation. And he says things in the past tense. Did you notice this? Has visited, redeemed. This describes future events that are so certain in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf that they are certain to take place. This is God's plan. We can't mess it up. He has visited, redeemed. The word redeemed here means to set free by paying the price. Is the idea behind setting a prisoner free by paying their bail or that of releasing a slave by purchasing their freedom. Jesus himself said this in Luke 4:18, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed." Ephesians 1:7 says, "In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace." 1 Peter 1, 18-21, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. As Zechariah prophesies, he prophesies saying, listen, he has visited us and he has redeemed us. We have been bought back. We have been purchased. We have been set free. And then he goes on to talk about the horn of our salvation. We worship the Lord who is mighty to save. Verse 69, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Horn, it's a symbol. Every time you see the word horn and, and as its symbol in the Bible, it refers to power and strength. So as you, you see that pop up, you think power 
and strength. Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He is mighty to save. It is his power. It is his authority. It is him who saves us. Warren Wearsby says the picture here is that of an army about to be taken captive, but then help arrives and the enemy is defeated. In the previous picture, the captives were set free, but in this picture, the enemy is defeated so that he cannot capture more prisoners. It means total victory for the people of God. As we worship today, we see that we've not only been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but we have seen that his mighty hand has come in and crushed the head of the serpent. This is the promise, the oldest promise in the Bible, is when we messed up back in our, uh, back in our father's Adam and our mother Eve, back all the way back then when we messed up and we sinned and sin entered the world, we needed a second chance, we needed a mulligan, and this is it, that Jesus Christ is coming and he will crush the head of the serpent and he will no longer be able to deceive us and lead us astray. So we worship him today to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. You see that Zechariah in his prophecy here, he says not only have we been redeemed, bought back. Not only has the mighty hand of God come in to save us, but we've been saved to serve. We've not been saved to sit. We've been saved now that we can serve him without fear, knowing that we are honoring him and the things that we do that go according to his word. Our worship is way more than a song. It's our service throughout the week. Let me ask you, have you worshiped this week? As we sing Christmas carols throughout Advent and we, and we think of these songs as songs of praise and songs of worship, have you worshiped not only in song but in service this week? We worship the Lord who is the life and the light of men. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. As we began our service today, we began with a, a song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Honestly, it's one of my favorite Christmas hymns. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Verse 6, O come, O bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness into light. John, as he begins his gospel in chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life that was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, born of God. Aren't you glad that we worship a God of second chances? Aren't you glad that he disciplines those he loves? Aren't you glad that we have a God who is faithful and secure, the horn of our salvation? Aren't you glad that we serve a God who is mighty to save, who redeems us, purchases us back with the blood of his own son, who destroys the enemy and gives us freedom from captivity? And aren't you glad this morning that even in a world full of darkness and sin, there's the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it? Are you glad that this morning, that if there is darkness in your life, if there's sin, if there's disbelief, if there's disobedience, that God says, I give you a second chance. What a great gift we all get this Christmas through the birth of Jesus Christ. Will you worship him this morning? Let's pray. Father.